Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a new story on the theme of power, culture, or the future. Handpicked from theoutline.com. I'm your host, James T. Green, and this is The Dispatch. Culture. You've probably seen this photo all over your Twitter or Facebook. Angela Merkel is sort of right at the center, and she's sort of standing up and leaning over a table and staring kind of dead into the eyes of Donald Trump, who's sitting on the other side of the table, and he's kind of in the corner of the photo. He's the only one sitting in the picture, um, which makes him look a little bit like a child in a way. President Trump with Angela Merkel. Everyone has seen this picture by now. She's basically staring him down. Who knows, uh, Beverly, what was actually going on in that moment? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. And also, Um, he's also kind of got his arms crossed and this slightly petulant look on his face. Um, And so in the picture, it almost gives this impression like the adults are sort of yelling at him because he's surrounded by all of these other G7 summit figures um, who are looking pretty stern and unimpressed. And the other thing, and just from a purely kind of visual standpoint, Angela Merkel, not only is she kind of in the center, but she's also, um, she's the only woman really visible in the picture. Theresa May is sort of in the distant corner, but you can only really see the back of her head. Um, And she's also wearing this really kind of light blue suit, which also makes her kind of stand out really visually against this group of uh, men surrounding her who were all wearing sort of dark colors. Um, So she pops visually as well. Yeah, in this photo, it's been, it seems like it's been everywhere. Like I've seen it through all of my feeds and I'm super happy to talk to you because you are an art historian. But why are we looking into this photograph like so intensely? Two reasons, I think. The first one is that I think when it initially started circulating, it was that it seems to capture a kind of geopolitical mood. It kind of crystallized into an image. We've all heard news reports that the G7 summit was going sort of badly. But also there was inevitably this sort of meme that's been common to well-composed news photographs in the past couple of years, which is that people started saying immediately that it looked like a Renaissance painting. Okay, so we have the G7 photo, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the other like viral images that were compared to Renaissance paintings? Okay, so the first, as far as I know, this sort of meme dates back to a 2014 photograph of like a fist fight in a Ukrainian parliament. There was a sort of amazing picture of these, I guess, like three or four politicians and they're all, they're basically like punching each other or wrestling each other. Um, And someone on the internet sort of superimposed a Fibonacci spiral over it, kind of also sometimes called the golden ratio. It's basically a diagram that was sort of believed to represent uh, ideal harmonic proportions. There was also one in like 2016, I think, of uh, it was New Year's Eve in Manchester, and it was a bunch of really drunk people sort of passed out on the street. <laughs> so why is the internet getting this meme wrong? Well, well, there are a couple of things. I think 
in the case of this particular image, um, one person on Twitter pointed out, and this also kind of then went viral on its own in a way, um, that the composition of this particular photo doesn't really look like a Renaissance painting per se, but like a Baroque painting. Baroque paintings tend to be organized around this diagonal axis and have these kind of dramatic contrasts between light and dark. From an art historian's perspective, I sort of thought, okay, point taken, you paid attention in your art history survey course. (laughs) It's not a Baroque painting either. Um, It's a photograph. And a photograph has a different kind of genesis for one. It's a different kind of object. And it it works differently. It does different things. And we should sort of appreciate a good photograph for being a good photograph on its own merits. Why do you think that people feel the need to compare these photographs to Renaissance paintings? Like, what is, like, what do you think is, like, inside, like, people's minds, like, when they see this image and they immediately think, oh, Renaissance? Well, I think, actually, it has more to do with the way we relate to and think about photography. I think we're really used to, pretty much everyone, to producing and kind of seeing camera phone images. Um, And that's created a different relationship to photography. Um, I, for one, and I'm sure you and most other people also have hundreds and hundreds of pictures that I've taken on my iPhone, and none of them are particularly skillful or thoughtfully composed. Um, But that's the kind of photography that now really vastly outnumbers professional pictures. Um, So I almost wonder if part of the reason why this knee-jerk response to seeing a really well-made image, a professional kind of composed photograph, is to kind of jump immediately to Renaissance painting. We almost no longer really associate photography with that kind of skill. Um, There's been a sort of devaluing of ideas around photographic composition. You know, even though photographs have become more prevalent in our lives or in culture generally than, you know, any time in history, obviously. Um, But that's been accompanied by, I think, as I said, a kind of devaluing of photographic skill. Um, And you can almost see that in the fact that a lot of news outlets have gotten rid of their staff photojournalists. But I think they both kind of coming from a culture where we no longer really think about photography as skilled in the same way. So I'm curious, like, Do you think, like, it has anything to do with, like, for instance, this photograph from uh, this G7 photograph, it doesn't fit within any kind of mold of any sort of social network or internet aesthetics. So, like, people that come across images that, you know, for lack of a better phrase, are very Instagrammable Uh don't make the same comparison to say, oh, this photo of this latte looks like from, a from yeah yeah from an upward angle with like a perfectly composed hand and a bright colored background doesn't look like a renaissance painting um do you think like it has anything to do with the fact that like these images are not within the bounds of like what is pleasing to the social networks algorithm yeah that's a, that's an interesting point i hadn't necessarily thought about it that way specifically but yeah i think that you could kind of think about it that is that we almost that yeah the kind of social media image the kind of instagrammable image is one way that we rec- one sort of category broadly speaking of images that we recognize 
and then a well-made photo that falls outside of that, our only point of reference for it is painting. I guess something I was thinking about in terms of just sort of general like photographic literacy is that, you know, I teach kind of intro art history courses to business students mostly. Um, and, you know, they're college freshmen, so they're all born in like the year 2000. And none of them know how a film camera works. And so it, mm. which always makes me think that there's been a real shift in the way that people understand photography. They're obviously all intimately familiar with with photography, they all have camera phones and they all take lots of pictures themselves. But the the kind of conventions of photography as like a skilled trade is different now. So someone's listened to this or read your article on theoutline.com and they're like, all right, I want to sharpen up my skills on pointing out Renaissance art. When I'm sort of introducing the Renaissance to students. Masaccio's Holy Trinity fresco is the first one where uh, there's a kind of true linear perspective used, which is how you make a two-dimensional surface appear to have kind of three dimensions in deep space. Raphael's School of Athens is also, which is a, a fresco in the Vatican, also sort of illustrates a lot of the major points of Renaissance art. In terms of books, I think one of the kind of great entry-level books for thinking critically about artworks and images generally and how they work socially is a kind of classic. It's John Berger's Ways of Seeing. There was also a BBC TV program in the 70s. I also think, you know, there was uh, the book that I sort of quote in the piece, Michael Boxendahl's Painting and Experience in 15th Century Italy. Um, it's actually an incredibly readable book, even though it's an, it's an academic text, but it's got quite a lucid prose style. In that book, Baxendahl kind of introduces this idea that became very important for really the entire field of art history, not just Renaissance art history, of the period I, kind of asking us to think about how images were produced and how they functioned in an original social context. That was Rachel Wetzler. To read their full story, head to theoutline.com. The Outline World Dispatch is produced and hosted by me, James T. Green. We use music from APM for today's episode, and our theme is by the fantastic John Lagarmacino. A quick thing. Do you know someone who would really like our short, strange stories? You should tell them about the dispatch. I promise they'll be glad you told them. We're on Twitter at Outline Dispatch if you want to send us a love letter. And the best way to tell others you love us is to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. Seriously, that helps out a ton. And now, a B-side. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now. <laughs> I'm James T. Green. We'll see you soon.